Good afternoon, back community. Uh, thank you guys as always for staying involved and staying engaged. Um, tonight, I happen to have an Albany legend and I don't say that lightly. Uh, uh, this man has been uh, a part, I, I like to say he is a, uh, a historic artifact uh, to the Capital District area. I have MZ uh, Lloyd Stewart, um, who I would like to dive into his story tonight uh, to be able to tell you guys about uh, his path, uh, uh, the creations that he has brought to light, and as well as his humongous family, as we will dive into later. So, <laughs> MZ, uh, uh, thank you for giving me your time tonight, uh, sir, and I truly appreciate it. I look forward to uh, telling your story uh, to the back community. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate um, being pulled out of the closet and dusted off. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's a real pleasure. I've, I've heard a lot about your programming and um, know a number of the people who you've interviewed in the past. Mm -hmm. And and there's nothing but good things that they say about what you're doing and mm -hmm. your work in the community. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There are uh, a big shoes to follow, uh, and, and, and yours will be some uh, some big shoes as well. So, you know, I just want to do my part uh, in the larger scheme of things to ensure that Albany or the Capital District area is left in good hands. Uh, so, but yeah, man, I, um, let me see. What I always like to uh, get into uh, is giving the back community the opportunity to uh, to get to know you. So I always start off uh, with saying, uh, MZ, so, you know, uh, what do you do now? I know right now uh, you've entered another season of life. So uh, but what, what do you do now? Um, uh, are there any passion projects that you're working on? And what part of Albany did you grow up in? Okay. I'll take those one at a time. <laughs> I um, right now I'm I'm just doing um, reading and writing. Um, I've published two books, and um, maybe about 15, 16 articles um, in newspapers or journals or things along those lines. All of it on African and African American history, but mostly focused on New York State. Um, and I've been broadening my, um, my research lately, um, back when I was in college or, or right out of college, I, I was doing a lot of research on African history, um, and African history in the diaspora in particular, um, Brazil, um, and then some in terms of the Caribbean. Um, but mostly um, New York State. Um, but I'm been, I've been broadening it lately and trying to get as much knowledge as I can, um, trying to put it down on paper so I could share it. Um, because there's my biggest passion, I guess you'd say, is trying to make sure that, that we as African people know our history, um, that we understand who we are as the original people. Um, who we are as far as the contributors, the developers, uh, the initiators of civilization in this world. At one point in time, we were the only people on this planet. Um, and we were the ones who, who migrated throughout the course of the world, throughout the diaspora, 
and developed all that exists as far as the human, human beings are concerned. Um, so it's important for our young people to understand that they are divine in their nature, that they are the ones who, who brought this world together, that they and their ancestors um, are the, 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 the foundation for human beings on this planet, uh, in this universe, as, so far as we know. Um, we, um, I'm trying very hard to figure out ways of, of educating. Um, um, I'm finding that it's important right now for me to, to develop as much knowledge that I can to put it down on paper and then be able to teach it or, or, or demonstrate it in schools or community centers or things along those lines. I don't wanna go in there with, with conversation where, you know, well, Africans did this and Africans did that. I want to at least be able to document that all of that does in fact exist. Um, that the knowledge of who we are has been hidden from us. Um, in many instances, it's been attempted, there's been attempts for, to try and destroy that history, um, to keep it as far away from us as they could. Um, in an effort to, to assist in subjugating us and oppressing us across the, across the continent, across the, across the world, the diaspora. There isn't anywhere in this world where people of African descent are not. There isn't anywhere in this world where people of African descent were not. Um, and it's important for young people and middle-aged people and older people to understand how dynamic we are how divine we are, how, how important to the development of the world and civilization we are as a people, um, so that there's no need to look down on ourselves, um, that we are, we are what, is, what is important. Um, there's um, um, a philosophy in, in Africa called Ubuntu, um, and that we've adopted it, my family has adopted it as a model. And it says basically that I am because of we, we are, therefore I am. All that exists and all that has existed in the past, um, as, far as, as far as civilization is concerned, as far as people on this planet are concerned, begins, begins with Africa and people of African descent. And it's important, it's important for us to be able to understand that and develop that and be able to teach that to our children. I'm actually going to turn this phone off. Here. All right. Okay. So. Okay, you were telling me about uh, uh, which part of Albany you grew up in. I'm not gonna let you go away without that. Yes. Um, initially, I was born on uh, First Street in Albany, um, right across from the St. Joseph's Church Park, that little park that they have there, off St. Joseph's Terrace, run, would run right okay. into my house okay. on First Street. Yeah, right above Timbrook. Yes, exactly, okay. one okay. block above. 
everybody's trying to get a hold of me right now. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. Sorry about everybody. That. Everybody's probably uh, waiting for this interview. They they probably saying I'm trying to watch it. How do I how do I see it? Uh, well, you'd have to tell them that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, first first thing, I was there. I lived there for the first ten years of my life, and then um, then we moved to the to the projects. Um, on Colony Street, the newly built projects. Now, there is no reason why this thing needs to keep going like this. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it would be working like that now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry about this. Oh, don't worry about that, man. Okay, so we grew up on First Street. I was there for maybe the first eight or 10 years of my life. And then, um, we moved to the, the newly built Colony Street projects. Um, and we lived, I lived there all the way through high school and college. Um, and then um, about the second year of college, I got married and had my first child. And um, we actually moved back into the projects again. Um, and um, because it was, it was an easy way to live, they were, they were very inexpensive at that point in time. Um, so a new family was able to deal with it easily um, mm -hmm. in, terms of, in terms of it. And then the children started coming and uh, we needed to find a bigger place in, <laughs> in the projects. Um, and we bought a house on Sheridan Avenue and we lived there with a friend of mine, we bought a joint house. So mm -hmm. um, those are the places I, I, I grew up in actually. Um, okay. So I'm an Arbor Hill um, native. Oh um, yeah, I'm um, third generation Albany native. Um, I'm a ninth generation native of New York State. Mm -hmm. And um, as I mentioned to you earlier, my family has been in New York State or the area that would be called New York State since the early 1700s. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the research that I'm doing now beyond African history is on my family. And um, I've been working on that for the past 20 years. I began with my grandmother, who at the time was 95, 93 years old. Um, and I figured we needed to, to get something down on paper to get a record of, of our family. Um, and because, particularly because of how long we had been here. Um, and she was willing, she was very feisty 93 year old lady. Um, <laughs> she had, she's the one that actually got our family involved in community service and community work that, that taught us that, that um, it was important to give back. It's always important to be a part of what's going on in your community and using whatever resources or skills that you have to try and make things better. And she had worked in community organizations from the time she, she came to Albany from Troy. Um, and as a matter of fact, she was on the board of directors of the Parsons Child Care Center <laughs> when she was 93 years old. So she set the example and it was followed by by my mother and then from my mother went on to 
to my sister, myself, and my brothers. Um, okay. So we've been community active um, from the time we were born on one level or another. Okay. Um, it's actually uh, uh, one of the things that uh, I found uh, most interesting about you uh, uh, once, I, uh, once I was introduced to your name was uh, your family's uh, historic uh, significance to Alpha Phi Alpha. Uh, if, and and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, 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 was uh, uh, one of your family members, I want to say either your mom or your grandma, uh, they were uh, the caretaker for uh, George Biddle Kelly, one yes. of the jewels of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity? Yes, absolutely. It was my okay. it was my grandmother. Okay. Um, actually, my mother. They were they were actually live-ins. My grandfather, mm. grandmother, and my mother uh, lived in his house in Troy, and mm. uh, took care of him for a number of years until he passed. Yeah, mm. yeah. And the, the the interesting thing about it was until I went to college, I didn't know anything about about Alpha Phi Alpha or George Biddle Kelly or anything else along those lines. Um, and ironically, down the street from me on First Street was um, uh, Mr. Poyer, uh, Mr. George Poyer, who was an alpha. Mm -hmm. um, and when after I went over, crossed the burning sands and all of all of that, <laughs> um, I was home and um, I ran into him and. Um, he, he had heard because the community of Albany is very small. Yes, and sir. The information passes very quickly. Um, the grapevine, if you will. <laughs> so he he sought me out and he he gave me the handshake and everything. And it was um it was um a very thrilling, almost spiritual kind of feeling mm -hmm. because I had known him all my life. And he was he was one of those adults, those men that you that you run into and you don't ever want to do anything wrong in front of them mm. because they will they will um, they will check you. Okay. Um, and um, this was a time where we were we were brothers. Uh, mm. We had reached a new level. And um, he treated me like that afterwards as well. So it was it was a very moving kind of experience to first run into him like that, but then also it had its um, its spiritualness in it because mm -hmm. we developed a relationship that we hadn't had before as because I, his son and I were best friends. Okay. Um, but our relationship really didn't exist at all because he was his father, you know how it is with the father. Yeah. Um, but it became it became good and that's one of the one of the positive things that that I got out of of um, being an alpha. Okay, okay. My story was similar, and uh, I remember I didn't know anything about uh, um, uh, fraternities and sororities prior to me going down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and going to Johnson C. Smith, and it was there where I got exposed to Greek life, and um, I remember. Um, uh, I'm probably going off on a tangent, but I remember when I first came home, um, I, um, after I graduated, I, I came back and I ran into some brothers uh, that were involved in the graduate chapter there. And I was telling them what I was getting ready to, uh, to do with my mentoring program uh, that I was running in Charlotte and how I was going to implement it here in Albany. And 
uh, one of the comments I had got at the time was just like, you know, well, well, we got this going on or, you know, you know, you might step on our feet. And I had said something similar to what you had said. It was just like, you know, well, I'm from Albany. I've been in Albany my entire life and I didn't know anything about Alpha. Right. So it was just like, you know, well, I hope and plan through what I'm doing to be able to uh, 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 connect Alpha with the heart of Albany because Albany is near and dear to me. And it was just like, you know, uh, that was that was my first indoctrination to it. Uh, uh, my relationships uh, definitely got a lot better uh, uh, after that, uh, just because we got that um, uh, uh, the brotherhood. But, you know, uh, not knowing about Greek life, a lot of people from upstate, I think they might there. They may have a better understanding of it now. But I know for a fact I didn't. And it seems like you didn't either prior to going to Columbia. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, so it was just like, you know, we have so much history just in uh, Greek fraternities and sororities alone. And there's so many different parts of the community that we don't even know about. Like your family's rich history there or you you crossing the burning sands and then uh, being able to have a deepened brotherhood. Was it uh, Mr. P, Mr. Poirier? Yes, yes. You know, and it's just like, we have a lot of sleeping or hidden jewels that, that go on and move on around us every day and we don't know or understand this deep connection that's why i love your uh connection with history i love uh your study of africa um how did you uh, how did you come to studying uh uh how did you come to studying uh, africana studies or why well, i began actually my my last year of high school um it was 1968 and everything was going on at that point in time um, the um, the marches, the 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 murders. Um, there was a. Um, I had been I've been a member of a church um, for most of my youth, and um, the Episcopal Church actually. And um, one day I'm watching TV. And um, I see um, this black couple who had come going down the south somewhere to visit their relatives. And they decided to go to their Episcopal, they were Episcopalians, and they decided to go to Episcopal church. And as soon as they walked in the church, the, pe- the service stopped. The people in the church turned around, they grabbed them, and they literally threw them out of the church. And this was on TV, it was live. Back in those days, there was such brutality and violence that went on that was on TV that you could see um, beyond beyond, um, the murders that took place. It was just the the day-to-day kinds of uh, marches and then the fire hoses and and things along those lines. But that hurt me deeply. and I began to um, um, search at that point in time for a different spiritual life. Um, and it brought me to African, um, the African sacred sciences. Um, and that's when I first started studying the African uh, sacred sciences when I was at junior, uh, junior in high school. And uh, so I began to learn, read about the history and uh, um, when I went to Africa, I had this professor who came there. This was the, when I'm sorry, when I went to college, I had this, uh, professor, uh, his name was Hollis Lynch. 
Columbia had just opened up the school, if you will, to, to African-Americans. So our class, freshman class, was the largest they had ever had. And they figured the easiest way to be able to deal with all these young African-Americans was to hire some Black faculty. And they hired maybe three or four. And one of them was Hollis Lynch. And he taught African and African-American history. And the interesting thing about him, something that I'll never forget, is his first day of school, he had like four graduate assistants come into the class with these great big crates that were full of, of Xerox copies of articles, of, of um, uh, newspaper articles, of articles from journals, all on Black history. Um, but it was a history of the diaspora of, of people of African descent. And I just, he, and he passed it out to the class. So I had, a, when, I, when I left Columbia, I had a trunk full of these articles that he had passed out. And uh, as a matter of fact, to this day, I still have that trunk full of those articles. Um, and so he would be the one who inspired me um, to my love of history, and particularly of African history and African-American history. Um, so I, I, I got exposed to it through him on that kind of uh, deep, intense kind of level. Um, and I just, I wasn't a reader. Um, matter of fact, I hated to read. Um, I'd be in classes when I, in, the, in grammar school. And, and you know, when you're sitting in a circle and you're reading and the teacher gives everybody a little part that they read out of a book. So I'd skip ahead to the part that I was gonna read and I'd read it to myself over and over and over again so that when it came my time to read it, I'd, I'd sound like I was actually a reader, but I wasn't. I probably read like three, four books all through high school. Mm. Uh, but when I got to Columbia and because of his influence, um, that's all I did um, was get, get books on history of Africa, history of African-Americans, history of the diaspora. Um, and it became a part of who I am. Um, and so I just, I just, um, it just became, it just became who I am and what I did. Uh, and I would do it all the time. And it, it really surprised me that I had written two books because I was a person who wouldn't read a book. Um, but it's important, I think, for, for there are books all over my house. Actually, my wife. Right behind you. Don't worry. I was coming right back there. You got a, you, you got quite the collection right behind you. <laughs> Actually, my wife, my wife uses books to decorate. Um, <laughs> she, she is um, um, uh, uh, what do you call interior decorator. She has those skills and she uses books for it, mainly because of our children and our mm -hmm. grandchildren. Um, that if they see it, they may pick it up, they may start reading it. Um, that it's important for them to be able to, to increase their knowledge and most of the books, all of the books actually, are about African history or African-American history because that's the part of our education that's been denied us. And we try and, and um, make it real to them. Yep, yep. Even, uh, uh, even just hearing you uh, uh, talk about Africa, uh, when you say that uh, uh, for, your grand, uh, for your grandkids, you wanna, make, you wanna make it real to them. 
they get a chance to live uh, vicariously through your stories. And, you know, uh, I studied abroad for a while, so I lived in Morocco. And uh, I know you did, a, I know you did extensive traveling throughout, I want to say South Africa, if I, if I remember right, uh, uh, in my reading about you. But no, I, lived, um, I lived in South Africa. You lived in South Africa. Okay. Right. Okay. So uh, uh, um, going to Africa was a game changer for me. And just uh, being able to, one, see this place up close in person, feel this place up close in person that we only typically hear about. And, you know, uh, uh, one of the things I learned was that uh, uh, Mesopotamia or the land between two rivers, you know, that's the, the one thing they will always teach you in history growing up in school. They'd be like, it'll make you believe that it's this far off place, um, you know, uh, but when I went to Morocco was the first time that I actually was able to pinpoint it and realize that that far off place that they kept describing about was actually modern day Iraq. And it was just like, you know, once you get a chance to see it and feel it and to draw connections, it means something different to you. So like for your grandkids, like, uh, I love what your wife's doing, you know, they're gonna learn directly or indirectly. And even if they don't want to, just because, yeah. you know, it's placed there. And yeah. it means something different to you when you can draw that connection. And that yeah. connection for them is definitely gonna be you. Yeah. Well, what you're saying is it, it, it hits home because when my, when my children graduated or went to college, went off to college, I decided that it, it was time for me to, to, um, to see Africa, to prove to mm. myself that Africa was actually real, that it was actually there, that there was something out there that I read about, that I heard, learned about called Africa, and I wanted to prove to myself that it was there. I had to see it. Mm. Um, so I picked up, uh, I quit my job. <laughs> I uh, found a program that would get me over there. Um, once I was there, I, um, I um, found a job there. I lived in South Africa for two years. Mm. Uh, prior to, to going to um, um, South Africa, I went on, on a study tour to uh, to Kemet to Egypt and to Ghana with the uh, with ASCAP, which is the um, Association uh, for the Study of of um, of um, classical African civilizations. Okay. Um, and it's the organization that was started by Ben Johanan and Dr. Clark and Asa Hilliard. And all of the the, uh, uh, the the idols that there are that we have um, for for our history, um, whose books I had all written from cover to cover, two and three, four times a, a piece, um, and got to go with some of them to Africa, and have the classes um, that they would teach us each evening on the on the sites that we saw during the course of the day. Um, and it was, it was probably the most inspiring, um, three weeks that I ever had. Um, and then we went, came back on our way back. We stopped in Ghana for the ASCAP conference, which was a international conference. And there were all these lecturers on, on Africa. And that's the first time I had saw, I had seen, um, Van Sertima, uh, 
the gentleman who is did that the Pink the, Panther? The Pink Panther. They, uh, 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 I, I want to say, uh, 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 album of, of Van Zerdema, uh, they, 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 his, his skin was a, a lighter complexion. They sometimes they would call him the Pink Panther. Is that the same one? Maybe, yeah. The one who wrote the history about the Olmec people mm. and, and, uh, um, the history of, of African Americans in uh, Mexico and South America. Mm. Ivan Van Sertima. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But it was, I mean, it's just, it just changed my, um, it focused me more because now I knew it was there. Is it actually there? And I saw the sites and we took a number of study tours when I was living in South Africa to uh, uh, Zimbabwe and Lesotho and and uh, Namibia, um, just to see as much of Africa as I can to just just um, gobble it up, if yeah. you will. Um, and it was it it was a very interesting period of time. Now the interesting thing about it is I was there for almost two years. If you ask my children how long I was there, some of them will tell you I was there for five years. Some of them would say I was there for like seven years. Um, what it, but it was good because it meant that they missed me <laughs> during yeah. that period of time. Um, but it was important for me to, for them as well, for me to go yeah. uh, during mm -hmm. that period of time and bring back to them the knowledge that I had gained, um, the history that I had learned um, to help them in terms of understanding who they are and what they are about as well. I teach them that inside of them are their ancestors. And it's been proven that it's true because the DNA that they have inside of them comes from their ancestors. It's passed down from generation to generation. So that it is their ancestors are a part of them. Um, and all of the history that we have is a part of us, um, physically, spiritually, um, so that we need to know what it is. We already know inside of ourselves our history, but it's important for us to see it and accept it and understand it for what it truly is. Um, and it moves us to a different level in terms of our ability to be able to make real change on this planet because we come from the original people um, and our history is the history of the world. Yes, sir. Okay. Let me see. Uh, as a uh, uh, as a world traveler, um, uh, and I know I know you talked about uh, even even for your kids being uh, being away uh, for two years felt like five years uh, to them. Uh, but how did your friendships and bonds that you formed growing up in Albany impact your adulthood? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, there are friends, there are people who I have friends, who I call family, brothers, who I've been friends with for over 50 years. Um, others have moved away. A lot of people move away from Albany, mm. um, including my children. None of my children live in Albany anymore. Mm. Um, they're all over the country, all over the country which is good because it gives me a chance now to travel in the United States. But 
Um, as far as the friends are concerned, they're, they, they have helped me understand myself better um, in terms of who I was and what I thought back when I was younger. Um, they've taught me so much in terms of my growth as, as a human being, um, as a man, uh, as examples in terms of how a man should, should, um, um, should exist on this planet as far as his children are concerned. Um, I was a, sing a single father for a long period of time. Um, and I, I learned that modeling, like you were saying in your program, the modeling, from, from a friend of mine, a very first close friend of mine named Norman McConney, because he was the first one that I ever knew who, who as a man raised his children. Mm. Um, and then there became a time where that opportunity was provided for me as well. And I think it was an opportunity because it wasn't just that I was raising them, they were raising me. Yes, sir. And I learned as much from them as they may have learned from me. And it helped both of us grow all of us grow um, and we became a very close-knit family and still are. Um, my oldest daughter just got married about three, four weeks ago. Um, in, um, congratulations, congratulations. Yeah, in, um, in Maryland. And I, I officiated the ceremony. Her and her fiance asked me if I, I would quote unquote marry them. And I went through the process of, of uh, becoming ordained mm. in order to be able to do that. Um, but it was uh, the most spiritual kind of, of um, experience beyond my own marriage um, that I had had in a long time. And particularly it was, it was, um, it was appropriate because yes. it's been a year and a half since I had seen my family with none of them living in Albany. Um, they're in Maryland, they're in Houston, they're in Asheville, they're in Miami. They're all over the United States. Um, I hadn't seen them in a year and a half because of the pandemic. And this wedding, this marriage, this Arusi, as we call it, um, was an opportunity for us to come together for the first time in a year and a half and see each other, nice. to hold my grandchildren, to talk to my children. Um, it was it was a very um, a very spiritual thing that I'm still carrying with me, nice. um, and nice. that's because my children and I are very close because of how we raised each other um, mm -hmm. as we were growing up, as they were growing up. Um, so there's <laughs> all of this this stuff that you're starting to bring out in me. <laughs> <laughs> That I haven't had a chance that I haven't talked about in a while. One of the, one of the difficulties is that at, at my age, the friends that you have, as you were asking, um, most of them have passed, have transitioned, um, and are now ancestors. Mm -hmm. um, and and you you think back on them, and you and you you um, you want to be a a part of them again, and you you wonder where they are, you want their advice, you want to talk to them, yeah. and you realize that spiritually you are still connected yes, and that you can have those conversations and that you can get their advice and you can get their, their comfort and their love um, 
by meditating and 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 having dreams about them, um, which mean which makes it almost almost as good as having them here. Um, so there is no there is no um, end to life. Life is is eternal, um, and we're because of the fact that we are spiritual beings living a human experience right now. Um, if we understand that, we understand that that they are always going to be a part of us. They're always going to be around us and a part of us. Um, it gives us a better, stronger feeling about who we are and the, the shoulders we stand on, but then also the arms that hold us up when we fall. I agree. I agree. And it's um, uh, 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 to, to be from a younger generation, um, I would say it is uh, enriching, uh, enriching to hear you say and, and talk about how important it is and even in transition to still be connected to the ones that we've lost. And I think about my wife and I got married in 2014. And I want to say a lot of the elders that were there that I can think of, uh, well, on my end has passed away. So my mom passed away. Uh, Brother Yusef was there. I know uh, you definitely know him. Uh, 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 he passed away. Mom Carolyn passed away. But I still feel a deep uh, and secure connection to each of them because of the time that I spent with them in the physical while they were still here. Um, and it's, 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 I think it's, it's, I think that sense of spirituality is lacking today. I think that sense of connection or that yearning for the connection is lacking. And I think a lot of it is just because uh, the younger generation doesn't know how to make that connection, doesn't understand how important it is to still be able to, uh, 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 as you like to be called, MZ, you know what I mean? Tune into your elders, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's just as, you can honor a person in life. I just I just put this on Facebook the other day. It was like, you can equally honor a person in life the same way that you can honor them uh, 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 through their transition as well, based upon how you live. And it's, yeah. uh, um, they're, they're both equally important. Yeah. Well, the beauty of it is that once you, once you understand it and accept who you are, that you are a spiritual being, you understand that they are spiritual beings as well. Mm-hmm. But as your ancestors, they're a part of you. They're always with you. The DNA that they have has been passed to you. So you have parts of them inside of you, okay? And all of their knowledge and all of their experiences are available to you, to you spiritually, if you search for it, if you spend the time um, believing and understanding that that is the way of the world. That's the way of the universe, that everything is is spiritual. And the energy of the creator is in all of us and and the energy of our ancestors and our parents and our grandparents and and all along those lines is a part of us both spiritually and physically um, through DNA. So that you're never alone because you have this this massive group of people that goes back. I, I got a piece online one day about um, you have one father and one mother and two grandparents and two grandfathers and two grandmothers and things along those. 
and it just went back in terms of the numbers of people, um, great, 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 greats mm -hmm. that are all a part of your family who are all a part of you as well because their their DNA and their and their and their uh, spirit has been passed down from generation to generation to you. So you're made up of all of these people who have existed, who are still exist because they are they are spirit and energy, um, and it just make gives you a sense of of um, not being alone. Yeah, that you have you have people to turn to, um, even though you you may not see them, um, and you may not have the conversations that you had with them before, but you can still have those conversations. Yes, and sir. you can still get information back from them. Yep. Um, yep. And you're always connected. Uh, it's, once again, it's, I think it goes back to whether or not if you know that a connection is still available and yeah. you know, uh, uh, being able to, like, how do you, how do you express spirituality to, to somebody else who might not have experienced it for themselves? And right. I think, with everything that's happening in the world right now, we need more of that than ever to really be covered, uh, to really uh, uh, embrace your walk in a world that still has a lot of negativity going on, but to realize you're covered, you're protected, you're, uh, uh, you're connected to all of these spiritual beings is, is, is truly important. You know, I walk around with this pendant uh, every day, you know what I mean? It's symbolic to me of a connection with me and my mom, you know, yeah. and it's just, uh, we have those connections. The, the signs are always there. It's whether or not if our eyes and ears are opened up to accept them, so. Yeah, I think the other part of it is that, that my generation, and I think each generation feels the same way, that they, that they have, um, uh, have not given the generation behind them all that they have to give. Um, the, the, particularly in my generation, the, and during the 70s and 80s, particularly the 80s, um, once everybody graduated from college and began to do their, you know, get their first jobs or move into corporations or things along those lines, um, there was a, a, a separation between my generation and the community. Um, and the community meaning the younger kids, the younger people, the next generation behind us. And there was a lot to be passed on that we had gained and we had known and we had learned that needed to be passed on from generation to generation. And we kind of, um, we kind of lost ourselves in that, that we did not actually fulfill those responsibilities. Um, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about how my family gave of themselves to the community, was always a part of the community on some level or another, uh, either by running programs or being part of programs or, or just being somebody on the street that people could come to and talk to um, and things along those lines. Um, so it is an important part, what you're saying. Um, it is a difficult thing also yeah. to begin to have people understand that that spiritualness um, that we as people of African descent have um, yeah. and that it gets lost 
that got lost in in the um, in the Maafa um, when we were brought here. Uh, everything was stripped from us: our names, our religion, our spirituality, our ability to to um, uh, to carry on our traditions and our rituals. Um, but it, it was always there, though, and that there were groups and individuals that held on to that knowledge, that held on to that spirituality and continued to pass it on. And it did not cover the entire population who were involved in, in the, the enslavement of our people. But there were enough that is beginning now, I think, to rise again. And yeah. um, the great rising that's taking place now because of this pandemic, one of the things that, that I've learned from this pandemic is that the way to deal with it, the way to survive in it, the way to grow in it is to evolve. Yes, and we have to evolve and it's telling us you have to evolve. This is a period in time in the, in the history of the universe where everything is changing. And it's important for us to understand that the way that our people our original people lived and the connection that they had with the universe and the connection that the Dogen have with the Sirius star and being able to see that and getting the knowledge from that. Um, it's there and it's coming out and it's time for us to be able to go back, as people say, for Sankofa, mm -hmm. uh, to bring that knowledge forward uh, for us to be able to survive as this, this universe is changing as the world is changing. And you can see it in the politics that exist in this country now and how negative that it's becoming on one side. Um, the land, the home of the brave and the land of the free is turning out to be the, the, the prison of, 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 of the, the innocent. Um, and we're not, we're not, we're falling victims of it when we were never really victims before. And it's the only way we bring ourselves out of that is to search back into ourselves and bring our history and our knowledge that has been given to us, that has been a part of us for our entire lives. Our family gave it to us. Um, our ancestors gave it to our family. And it's important for us to search it now and evolve to the point where we can pass it on to our children and take the time and when I say our children, I'm not just talking about yeah. our, 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 our born children, our blood children. Um, I'm talking about generationally. Um, to be able to move beyond this period of time in the thought process that is, that is, that is manipulating us um, to do things that we would normally not do. Um, and that um, the cruelty and the violence um, that is existing in this world now um, has always been there. Um, it's how we got here to this, to the diaspora, uh, through the Maafa, the violence. Um, and it's important for us now to, to seriously consider how, how we evolve and bring our people to a new level, to a new, a new, um, a new, plateau in terms of knowledge, understanding, and our ability to be able to survive and, and, um, and cultivate this world 
as we've always done. You made me. Uh, uh, you made me think of something. Um, one when you talked about uh, uh, how to get by is to evolve through what you're going through, and um, uh, one uh, I know that you also were a part of uh, the New York State Assembly. I, I want to say you might have been in Ways, uh, the Ways and Means Committee, uh, mm -hmm. but um, uh, uh, you, you look at you look at where we are right now, what's going on. I know New York uh, State just had some, uh, what is it called? What do you, what's the word they say now? Uh, uh, bombshell news or something like that. Well, what's going on when you look at our leaders? So, uh, you know, what's going on in, in that aspect and how does our leadership impact what happens and, and, and how people get involved or don't get involved based on the representation of people that they see? And, you know, that's why I think it's equally important uh, uh, to be able to, I always say you learn from the successes and failures of people who look like you. So for me to be able to see someone like yourself, to be able to understand your history, to be able to understand how you have been able to live and thrive throughout uh, uh, several different uh, a time periods in life. I'm just, as you were speaking, I'm just sitting there and I was like, well, man, you know what? You lived through that. You lived through that. You lived through that. How, uh, 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 how, uh, how has it been transitioning through all of these changes from riots to uh, 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 seeing us as a people get a chance to have a part of uh, uh, the political pie, or uh, how has it been living through all of these different um, eras? Yeah, it, um, I guess it would be a lot easier if you looked at it that way. <laughs> when you're mm -hmm. going through it, you don't necessarily see it as an era that's taking era mm -hmm. that's taking place. Um, you just know what's happening to you at that particular point in time. I think what's happening now, um, everybody sees what's happening with this pandemic and how big an influence, um, tragic, um, violent influence that it has on everybody's life. There's no way you cannot see this as, as an era that we're going through. Um, and the reaction, what is your reaction to this? How do you keep it from driving you crazy because people are getting sick and people are dying in massive numbers the kind of numbers it's even difficult to even put in your head or come out your mouth and understand um and i think that that what we what we need to do and what we've um what i think we're learning to do is having programs like yours where these kinds of discussions are taking place, where people begin to open up about what they're feeling and what's going on with them and how it relates to other people. Because you find out that yeah. what's happening with me is no different than what's happening with you. I mean, the numbers may be different. You may lose more people. You may have more people who are sick or, or things along the or 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 people in your family who you're not able to see in the relationships. Um, but one of the, 
interestingly enough, one of the things that I think has helped in terms of, of um, our ability to evolve is this Zoom. Yes. This Zoom has allowed us to have the conversations that we haven't been able to have in our houses with the friends and the people that we know and love. We had rehearsals for my daughter's wedding on Zoom, <laughs> okay? And we were able to get all the people who were involved in the wedding together at one place at one time in a conversation to talk about it. Um, now that's something that technology, I, I say bravo the technology for that. <laughs> It did, it did provide something for us that was lacking. Um, and, and that connection, conversation, um, it's not the same, it's different, but it's important because it provides you the opportunity to see the people that you love and to have conversations with the people that you love and keep the con connection going because you can connect with people over over, over massive period, uh, uh, massive um, distances, yeah. Yeah. Okay, spiritually, but you can do it now visually as well, and I think it, it makes a it makes a great different great difference, and it's part of what I was talking about before about evolving, yeah. about finding a new way of doing, a new way of being, and a new way of of accomplishing the things that are necessary for us as a people to survive. Um, and that's and it's very important. Um, and there have been there are a couple of programs that I've been on that I really because I'm here, I'm reading, I'm writing, I'm kind of isolated in here, and I'm putting this together, and I'm saying, oh, nobody does anybody know that our people did so and so, and they did mm -hmm. such and such, and how do I get to them? Do I have to sit down and I have to write a book, and I got to go through a publisher, and I got to put it out for sale or whatever along the lines for people to understand it. No, I can talk to you and tell you about it. Yeah. And you're not, you represent a larger group of people who are getting that information themselves. Um, so, that, so that it is that evolution that we need yeah. to go through that, 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 um, that is being provided on some level through this technology called Zoom. Um, my wife was into it first um, because <laughs> her church is on Zoom yep. and, and all of her church meetings and, and uh, Bible study and all of those kinds of things. And um, she said, let's, let's, let's talk to the kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you can't get them all on the phone at the same time because we were, we were wedded to the telephone as a means of the communication that yeah. we were um, and the email is not the same thing, or even even the um, text messages. It's not the same thing as being able to see somebody's face and their expression and the smile on your face and things along those lines that make that make communication between human yes. beings so important and yeah. so necessary. To um, make it intimate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, as much as it can be. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I mean, it's certainly much, much better than I used to tell the kid when you have a birthday, um, they send you a text message, happy birthday. I said, that don't count. Okay, there's, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you haven't even spoken to me yet. You call me on the phone or something, but yeah. you can, 
text me. You, you can text me and all you want to, but I'm not paying any attention. First of all, I'm not looking at text. You know? <laughs> um, but if you Zoom me, you got to call me and let me know that something's going on and that we're doing this and, and blah, blah, blah. And then we get to talk and yeah. we get to see each other. Um, and you get to, to even in, 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 a, in a visual sense, play with your kids, play with your grandkids. Um, have those conversations and and uh, and things like that. Um, so we are finding some ways of communicating. Um, Definitely. And it may be an opportunity because we are a visual people. Mm. It may be an opportunity for us to be able to make that step that you're looking for in terms of of communicating with people and being able to to keep the knowledge, the information, the love, the stories the history flowing. Okay. Um, and this may be one way of doing it, but just one way of doing it and hoping and praying um, that even this will be done um, soon so that we can actually go back to hugging and kissing. Yeah. And what I've learned too is that, you know, uh, I, I, I'll say this last point uh, is that um, we have access to <laughs> almost everything and anything which is both good and bad now right and uh technology is both good and bad depending on how you use it what you're involved in and it's kind of like for a lot of people it's almost an excuse too to not do a deep dive to go a little bit further than just what you get on the surface level and it's just like you know being able to uh, uh become an avid reader and really finding out uh uh the context behind what was going on takes you to take a little bit more of a deeper dive than just a Google uh, a Google search. So we yeah. got access to so much. Uh, you got access to technology, and in a lot of instances, some people might not be utilizing it or taking advantage of it. And yeah. you know, my pastor always says, uh, he says, if you come out of this pandemic the same as you went in, you were doing something wrong. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that evolution part that you spoke of, I think, uh, uh, hit the nail uh, on the coffin because uh, you better be finding ways to be creative, to uh, evolve or time will just move on without you. And you'll be stuck there feeling like a dinosaur when really you had other opportunities to evolve along with it. But, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Let me see, man. I know that um, uh, uh, you did uh, uh, on top of uh, 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 the rest of your uh, scholarly literature, you did uh, actually uh, pen two books, uh, A Far Cry from Freedom and um, the, Mysterious the Black Migration. Black migration. <laughs> nice. Yeah, The Far Cry from Freedom and The Mysterious Black Migration. Yes. Um, the um, Far Cry from Freedom is was the was the first book. Um, I'm, I'm online. I'm reading. Um, I'm looking at all of this that has to do with enslavement. Um, and I I um, I'm doing my family history. And it showed because my family has been here in New York State for, well, the area of New York State for as long as it is, the colony, the state, whatever. 
I began to see that that what took place to people of African descent in New York State from the 1600s to now is the story of my family, the actual story of my family, the enslavement, the the um, the abolition, the gradual abolition, all of those things that um, the discrimination, the Jim Crow. All of those things that you hear about that go on in the that went on in the South that you think went on in the South began in the North. Definitely. Okay. Um, and it then just transferred itself as you as you move the population of enslaved people from the north, because originally that's where they were going, Virginia, the Mason Dixon line, as they began to move the population of enslaved people more south. Um, all of those 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 um, uh, institutions that were developed in the north um, moved down with them as well. So you had there isn't anything that took place in the south that didn't start in the north. Okay, because okay? that's where they first civilized, quote unquote, this country. Um, so I'm I'm doing my family history and I'm saying that this is their story. I need to tell people about what what actually took place. You would be surprised how many people did not know that there was enslavement in New York State. Yep. Um, and at such a level yep. that at one point in time, New York City had the largest population of enslaved people in this country. Yep. Okay. Um, that that's where the ships came to New York City because of its, its large seaport. Um, and and it it moved up and down the Hudson River because it was it was a perfect uh, um, uh, path way for people to be able to move and settle and develop along the line because of the resources that existed up north further up up north from New York from New York City, the land that was available. Um, the beaver, the animals, the, the, the resources that were then used and sent back to Europe. Um, we didn't have, we had small amounts of, of, of cotton. Um, we had small amounts of, uh, but the sugar and the, the coffee and all of those major products that were produced in the Caribbean what we had up here were were a different type of resources. Um, the animal skins that they used, um, the, the beaver population that got wiped out in this area because they were sending them to Europe so they can make hats or they can make clothing from the fur uh, to protect them from the winters that existed in, in Europe. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm saying New York State has a story to tell. And it's not a story that people want to hear, okay, or want to believe or even accept. Um, but it was it's it was interesting how people um, were educated about New York State and it and its role of enslavement um, and its role within the Constitution of the United States and its ability to, to, to oppress and segregate and, and basically um, 
destroy the family of, of African-Americans in this country. Um, so I'm writing my story, I'm writing my family's story, and it turns out that this, that this book of Far Cry from Freedom is a story of, of my family, um, but is also the story of thousands and thousands of African people of African descent who came to New York State and the, and the North. Um, and it teaches them that, that all that you see when they talk about up South or up or, and, and, and mm -hmm. how, how much better it was in the North than it was in the South, um, hopefully they'll read this book and other books like it and understand that, that um, America is America. And what exists in one part of the country exists in the other part of the country. It's all, it's all there, and it's all materialistic. It's all about um, making money. It's all about subjugating. It's all about discrimination, and it's all all about um, anti-black terrorism. And this anti-black terrorism, yeah, there's racism, yeah, there's segregation, but this anti-black terrorism that is producing these, this, this um, the killing, the massive killing of people of African descent mm -hmm. by police that is creating this um, 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 criminal, the, the judicial system yeah. that's placing so many of our young people in jail, uh, in prison. Um, ruining their lives, what do they have when they come out, okay? What kind of jobs, they can't vote, they can't work, they can't get certain jobs, they can't do certain things. Their lives are destroyed during this period, during this this, this, yeah. this uh, recovery that they have after they're released. And it's, it's all terror. It's terrorism that's taken place. It's been going on since the first time, since the Mahatma, when we first came to this country, or first were brought to this country, we didn't come to this. We're not migrants, yep. okay? We did not immigrate to this country. Um, we were captives. We were brought here, um, prisoners of war. Um, so anyway, this that's that's where that book came from. Um, okay. Talking with my um, my grandmother about it, she she helped me a lot understand. She understood that we had three generations of family. She could go back in her mm -hmm. mind three generations. And as we worked on our family history, we were able to go back nine generations mm -hmm. so far, okay? Um, and we, through DNA, we've been able to identify the fact that on my father's family side, we're Yoruba from Nigeria. Yep. And on my mother's side, we're Tika, Tikar, from Cameroon um, through the DNA, the DNA that connects us to our ancestors, um, that tells our story. But the story is not just about where we came from. The story is about the trauma that has been passed from generation to generation. And all of that, that you got these young kids who were in school and they just freak out and they're mad and they're crazy sometimes. And they don't, they're angry and they don't know why. Okay. 
a lot of it has to do with this trauma that they're going through now living in this world, okay? A friend of theirs um, is hit by a stray bullet and is killed, okay? A father is sent off to prison, okay? That's their individual present day trauma, but they're also carrying the trauma of generations of people of African descent that's passed down to them. And we don't deal with that, okay? There is no place for young African American kids to go to get the help that they need to be able to deal with this trauma that they have, okay? There was a, a superintendent of the school district of Schenectady who I had a couple of conversations with. And his whole thing was about this trauma and identifying this trauma and setting up ways of dealing with the trauma that the kids that he saw every day in their school okay, were going through. And understanding that there, it's accepted that the trauma that Jewish people go through because of the Holocaust is accepted as reality. But the trauma that mm. people of African descent have gone through and continue to go through is not accepted as reality. Yeah. Okay. And and the it's our it's our responsibility to make that clear, to bring that out, to show that to the world, to deal with our children, because our children are so so um so engulfed in this trauma that they're and they not may really not even know it though. Imagine, no. imagine, imagine being so much and so far engulfed in it and not even realizing what's going on uh, around you. You mentioned right. earlier uh, uh, that you know uh, the the myth about being in the north and how the north would put you so far away from slavery. But it, once you take a, a a deep dive in the history, you'll realize how much that uh, 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 New York played or uh, uh, New York's role in that, you know what I mean? From being the, uh, the at one point in time, the place that had the most slaves. Yeah. Also think about, you talked about the schools. Think about a lot of the schools being named after former slave owners or slave masters. It wasn't until um, uh, with that mentoring program model, uh, we started taking the kids down to New York for their slavery exhibit. I can't think of the name of the uh, museum. Every year they do this major um, a slavery exhibit. And I got a chance to, to see the history of New York from even places like, let's say you go to Philip Livingston or you got Schuyler or you got all of these different places that are named uh, uh, after people who were slave owners and has a rich slave history. Imagine going to school to a place that was named after somebody that you didn't know what their full history was. So you, right. you can't even realize that that's part of, of the entire uh, of package and processing too. So, but you just made me think about it, uh, just realizing like in real time, we got to deal with all types of traumas that you're currently experiencing, as well as traumas that you might not even know are yeah. Uh, yeah. a part of your being. Right. They're part of your DNA. They're, yeah. they're part of who you are. Um, they visit you just as much as the ones that you that you deal with on a daily basis. Um, 
so that's that's where that book came from. Um, okay. And um, I focused on the grad this gradual abolition um, because the gradual abolition was was the period in time prior to the actual emancipation, quote unquote, of black people in New York State. Um, and it was, it is, if you look at it seriously, it's the precursor of foster care, mm. where they actually took children away from enslaved people and put them in homes that were, that were established by the state um, or put them in homes of other individuals who were looking for cheap labor or free labor. They were giving away, and, and I, I have difficulty saying that, they were giving away children to, to slave owners, okay, so that they would have people to work their farm and they would give them away for free, okay? They would just take the children from their mothers and give them to these slave owners. And also when they gave the children to the slave owners, they also gave them a maintenance fee to take care of those kids, okay? So it's, it's similar in so many ways and the precursor of foster care, mm -hmm. except this was, this was something that was more diabolical in its, in its inception and its practice. Um, so I got, in, I got into that piece. I found that little piece and went over to the New York State Library and there's volumes of, of records because when money is involved, there's records, yeah. there's receipts, there's explanations, there's discussions, there's where, who did what, what did who, what names. And in this, so in this book, there are so many names of enslaved Africans um, that I hope that it would give people an opportunity if they had any any idea or any inkling of where their ancestors came to New York State, where they were, that they would be able to trace them and be able to track them. Um, some pictures, but mostly names um, of families that they were enslaved with or that they were freed from and they took new names. Um, but an effort to try and get allow people to find their family if they were doing um, genealogy on some kind of level. Um, so that that's where that book came from. The second one, um, The Mysterious Black Migration, it deals with a period in time where this gradual abolition actually took place and enslavers were given the prerogative of, of just freeing their, their, um, their enslaved people. Um, it was during the time of, of the uh, Revolutionary War, um, the latter part of the 1700s, the early part of the 1800s. And the state was divided, loyalists and, and, um, and uh, revolutionaries, I guess you would call them. <laughs> um, um, but, and part of the state was, so they moved the agricultural production from, from the southern part of New York State to the northern part of New York State, 
because the southern part of New York State was was uh, colonized heavily by the British, that they were there, that they owned it, that they had the farms, that they were producing the crops that were being either sent to Europe to feed Europe, or they were being sent throughout the state and throughout, throughout New England to feed the people in, in this country. Um, so they moved the production of, of agriculture to the north. Mm. And when they did that, the, the, the enslavers in the south had no reason to have, have enslaved people anymore because they had no, long, no longer the production that was necessary. Um, so they freed them. They just said, you can go. Our people <laughs> are, are so intuitive that they understood that we got no job no more. We got no place to live. We got no, no work to do. We can't take care of our families. What do we do? We follow the production of, yeah. of the food. And so they moved up north. They migrated. And this book talks about a group of 3,000 um, African-Americans who moved to Washington County and developed and started a new economy up there, um, agricultural production and also textile production. And it wasn't just people from New York State, it was people from Massachusetts, from, from New England, even people from as far away as Pennsylvania, all migrated up to Washington County and settled Washington County and made it the number one producer of, of, mm -hmm. of, of cotton, linen, and wool in the, in the um, 13 colonies. So this goes on for a period of time, maybe 20 years. Okay. Um, and Black people are making money and they're buying, because they're all free. And they're, and they're buying land and they're, they're producing crops on their own and they're developing textiles and they're working in these factories, the newly, the nascent um, manufacturing that's taking place. And um, so then, <laughs> so then they have the, the um, War of 1812 comes and Thomas Jefferson, who's president at the time, puts an embargo on products going from from England and France to, to the United States and back and forth um, because he doesn't want to get involved in the war, you know, being taken advantage of by one or the other. Um, so what that does, it shuts down all of the production that's taking place in New York State and New England. And now people of African descent are in the same boat that they were in when they were living in the southern part of New York State all this production stops. Yeah. And now where do they go? They either go back to where they came from or they go out west. And it tells that story of these families. One of the stories, one of the families is my family. And this is why I'm saying that these books are, are more um, biography of my family than they are, well, not then they are of of the history of people of African descent, but they're combined. Um, and it's the reason why I wrote them in the first place. So that's that's the story of those two books. Um, very um, um, 
everything that 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 I'm about is about family. And it turns out that these books are about family as well. Okay. And I know you have a very, very large family. Uh, <laughs> I want to say, uh, let me see if I let me see if I got this right. Six kids, 21 grandkids, and four four uh, great grandkids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get started late. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but, you know, it's, <laughs> I've, it's been, it's been um, the most exciting period of my life, these grandchildren, mm. um, because they came, they just kept coming, mm. you know, and um, I remember one Christmas when the kids used to come home for Christmas. Now it's more difficult because they got all these kids that they got to move around and, <laughs> and they're living in different parts of the of the country. But they came home one Christmas and I brought them downstairs here because this is where my office is. And I said, um, listen, how come I got six kids and I only have one grandchild? Okay. Now, why did I say that? Okay. Because because by the next <laughs> by the next Christmas or at least next New Year's, I had four more grandkids. Mm. And then they just kept coming and coming and come. And it's it's such a beautiful thing. Um and they um and the grandkids they call me Baba, which is mm. actually father, but but I let them call me Baba. And um we and my wife they call Aya. Which is actually mother in in Yoruba, um, but they um they are the lights of my life, man. They just they just they just make everything right, and they'll call you on the phone, and you talk to them on the phone, or they when they do come. Um, my youngest son Jamal, he's he's thirty five. Okay, he has seven kids. Mm. Okay. He lives in, in uh, Phoenix. Mm. Um, and one of the one of my banes, the banes I have with the pandemic, I have a number of them, but one of them is I have four four great grandchildren who I haven't seen. Yeah. I have two grandchildren who I haven't seen. Um, and one of my one of my grandkids is is um two years old yeah. i haven't seen him um i see him on on zoom but that's not really yeah. the same thing i mean it, it 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 does suffice on one kind of level but not on the the emotional you know physical kind of level um so but they um they have they've been good for me they've okay. been very good for me yeah okay. let me see let me see man i got um uh i'm gonna hit you with uh, uh two more questions before i let you go on and go because um uh one i could probably stay here and talk with you um uh, all day uh but i do want to be respectful to your time and make sure uh that uh, when the audience does see this they get to know all of the, the jewels and the important parts about you. 
I have a question for you only because you mentioned this word and maybe you can help uh, to kill an argument that uh, a buddy and I are having. Um, uh, you have lived through several uh, eras, as I uh, uh, mentioned earlier, um, and you've gotten to see uh, from where we were to where we are today. In your definition, how do you, how would you describe a revolutionary? Ah, interesting question. How would I describe a revolutionary? Um, it's interesting because at one point in time, I knew a definition. Mm. Um, but that's long since gone. Um, a revolutionary to me would be any anyone who has a sense of history, who has a sense of who has a sense of ma'at. You familiar with the term ma'at? No, sir. M a a t with with some you know um, asterisks on it. Ma'at was in the in the Kemetic, the ancient Egyptian cosmology. Ma'at was the value system that the world was created on. Ma'at is truth, justice, righteousness, balance, order, reciprocity, and harmony. The Kemetic people use that as their value system. Everything was based on ma'at from, from the, from the um, um, Nusat Didi all the way down, the Pharaoh all the way down to the common person. Ma'at ruled everything. It ruled the universe, okay? That's how everything was in balance. That's why when, when, you, when you died, or when you when you transition, your life, your heart, which represented your life, was balanced against the feather of Ma'at. Okay, and there are 40, 42 um, negative confessions they call them. Um, I have not murdered. I have not stolen from a friend. I have not coveted my wife. All of those. Ten Commandments and mm -hmm. other um, 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 value systems that have been uh, stolen from 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 Egyptian Kemetic um, philosophy. Um, Ma'at was what ruled the world. In the beginning, um, was the word, and the word was Ma'at. Okay, um, an individual ability to move along in the afterlife was based on how they were valued or, or rated or balanced against Ma'at. Um, and what they, a revolutionary is a person who, who walks the path of Ma'at, who believes in the truth, in justice, righteousness, the balance of the world, uh, truth, justice, righteousness, balance, order, reciprocity, 
and harmony. A true revolutionary understands those values. A true revolutionary lives those values and, and, and presents those values when you meet them. You can see it in them. You can see it in their eyes. You can feel it in your heart. Um, revolutionary is not necessarily somebody who walks around with a black beret and, and you know a gun strapped to their hip or things along those lines. It's what's inside somebody that you can see, that you can feel, that they are for people, okay? They are for the earth. They are for life as, as, as it should be, okay? Um, not materialism, not money that they're making or, or the possessions that they have or the cars, that they have a different value system. Okay, and you'll find that those are the people who are leading the quote unquote revolutions that take place throughout this world. Um, they see how poor people and marginalized people and disenfranchised people are being treated and they have to, because of who they are, respond to that. They have to make a, a, uh, an effort to see that those, that those people are able to live a perfect life as much as you can. Um, tear down systems that exist that, that oppress, um, subjugate, um, separate. Um, a real true revolutionary is, is an advocate of Ma'at. Um, they have that in their being, it's who they are. Um, they're people who you may not think um, are like that, but you see them involved in all of these, these um, efforts to make the world a better place. And that's, that's about as close to a revolutionary as I can. I can hey, say. I will take it. I will take it uh, <laughs> and thank you for that. Uh, uh, yeah, it's been an ongoing discussion. So I, I figured there was no better person uh, at this time that I could uh, uh, get to weigh in on that one. So thank you for that. Uh, I want to say one thing though. Um, my wife told me earlier when we were practicing this, Mike, the camera on my, on my tablet is over on this side, but the picture of you is over on this side. So I'll be looking over here at you and people be saying, why is he looking over there? <laughs> uh, I should be looking over here at the camera. So you all have to forgive me. I'm still learning this technology, but as long as I'm getting across to you what I'm saying, it doesn't matter how I'm looking at you. Okay. I agree, I agree. Uh, my, uh, my last two questions for you are fairly easy, uh, but probably one of my favorite questions that I ask everyone that I interview. Uh, what's your favorite place to visit uh, in the Capital District area or Albany? Uh, what's your favorite place to visit in Albany and why? In Albany? Yeah. Um, my favorite place to visit would be um, Washington Park on a Sunday afternoon when they used to have the drumming in the park. Mm. Oh, it was beautiful. They had the drumming. People were coming in flutes. 
could be Hispanic, Latinos, they'd be Africans, they'd be African-Americans. They'd all have the Kunga drums and, and the bongos and, oh, it was a beautiful period of time. And they do it now too. Hmm. Um, but it was always in the afternoon on a Sunday. Um, okay. And Washington Park would be the, the place where, um, where I would go. Um, I'd bring the kids. We'd sit down there, you know, we'd make a couple of sandwiches and stuff and just sit down and listen to the drumming and, and um, yeah, we'd be watching them part. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, that now, might in the, cap in the Capital District, my favorite place to go would be Saratoga because okay. that's where I, I actually met my wife. Okay. okay, and we go up there, we were actually married in Saratoga mm -hmm. and, um, we go up there every year for our anniversary. Um, nice. And there are some restaurants up there that, that um, Muzon House that's up there has a very, very rich African-American history to it. It used to be owned by an African-American family and painted on the wall are pictures of the family, uh, mm -hmm. the daughters and, and, uh, and uh, the other members of the family. It's a house that got turned into a restaurant. And they and they they fix um, Cajun food, combo, mm. and um, and um, and things along those lines. Um, but that would be my favorite place in the okay. um, in the capital district. Okay, I might I, I, listen. I'll I'll be back in Albany on Friday. You know, I, I might have to I might have to head out that way if it's if it's still open. Uh, it's season, brother, go to the ATM first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. it's track season, so everything goes up a little bit. Okay. If okay. we're open, you know. Okay. But anyway. Okay, not a problem. And let me see, man. My final question for you tonight uh, is actually going to be um, I, I have an inkling of where you might go, uh, but what about your life's path are you most proud of? Oh, wow. Um, I would say the period of time that I was working at the Urban League. Mm. Um, I realized that that even though I I I've been in, instructed, if you will, in in community organizing uh, or community work from my grandmother and my mother, um, at the Urban League when I was working at the Urban League, I realized that it was. Um, not what I did, it's who I was. And I had found, I had found my place in the world, I thought. Um, and the only thing that tore, tore me away from it was going to Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and I left the Urban League to go to Africa. But that's the place I thought I did the most, the most good. Um, we did the most work. Um, we increased the, when I first got there, they had a budget of $116,000 um, with staff and secretaries and rent and all of that. It wasn't anywhere near enough. By the time I left, our budget was $2 million. Nice. Um, we were able to, to do programs, I think, that, that impacted um, the community in terms of, of jobs in terms of housing, in terms, we even had a bank in mm. the Earth League. 
okay, where people could go to get mortgages. Uh, Coho mm -hmm. Savings Bank had a had a branch in the Urban League. Um, we had an office in, in uh, Saratoga. We had an office in Troy. Um, we almost had an office in Schenectady. Um, but I think that's where where I did the best my best work. Mm. Uh, and I think that we had the most the best inf most influence on people um, um, marginalized communities. Um, or as, as one of my mentors, Arthur Eve would say, the least of God's children. Okay. Hey, listen, uh, uh, and, and just for uh, uh, historical uh, significance, was the Urban League at the time when you were involved with it right on the corner of Livingston and Timbrook? Yes, that, sir. okay, okay, all yeah. right. You know, yeah. I, I always find um, such beauty uh, and joy in understanding uh, uh, those aspects. Uh, and realizing, you know, that uh, we come from a rich history and rich heritage uh, uh, in Albany and the Capital District area and being yeah, able to uh, partner up or to converse with individuals like yourself uh, helps to give me those stories so that I can uh, uh, keep them going as well. So Brother Stewart, um, I truly, uh, or Imza, uh, I truly appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time out uh, to uh, explain your uh, a small part of your history, a small mm -hmm. part of your path, and sharing your uh, uh, your knowledge with the back community. Uh, so I just want to thank you again for uh, taking the time to open up your world uh, uh, to us and to the Capital District area. If there's uh, anything that you would like to say uh, as a parting gift to the back community, the floor is yours. Well. First of all, I'd like to say this has been this has been a, a pleasure and a joy to talk with you today. Um, it's um, particularly seeing when we started the conversation. For some reason, my air conditioning went off, and it was <laughs> a hot day. <laughs> but um, I I appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, I think it's very important for us to be able to, to see people in our community. Um, not that there's anything special about, about me in our conversation, but to be able to talk to a new person um, that I'm meeting for the first time. Um, but having a conversation like we've, we've talked to each other yes. many times before. Um, and it's it's important for people to know that that um, conversation is one of the most important things that we can have with each other. Um, if we can't communicate with each other, we're in a world of trouble. Um, when we begin to start drawing lines and separating people, or this person is this, or that person is that, and we're all African Americans, all people of African descent. It it um it sets us back so much, um, and I think that that um as we evolve through this pandemic, programs like yours, efforts like yours, um, are going to be needed more and more, um, 
and our people are in a tough spot right now, um, particularly when it comes to the most the most um, um, important of all rights, uh, voting rights, and being able to vote, and that trying to be taken away from us just when we're getting the hang of it, <laughs> um, and how we're, how we're going to be able to make some changes. It's important for people to to um, to understand that things are going to get worse if we don't get better in our abilities to influence and make make positive changes on this country, uh, in this country, with the people that we elect, um, that we need to be able to to um, to have people like yourself. Um, Put up the, the picture of what's going on, um, the movie, if you will, the video, if you, if you will, of what is happening, and bringing these people on who are making real efforts to try and make changes. Um, we also need to understand that, that it's the young people who are the most important in that process. Um, and we need to know that, that they're thinking in the same way. Um, so I'd also like to say that, that uh, even though I'm doing reading and writing, um, that I have quite a bit of time on my hands to be able to volunteer to help with different mm -hmm. programs. Um, I do have um, a not-for-profit organization um, that, that works with other community-based organizations in terms of their infrastructure and their finances. Um, I'm not pushing that as far as, as, um, as work is concerned, but I'm more than willing to volunteer to help in any organization that thinks that might be helpful. Um, and um, I'm easy to contact and um, um, willing to work. Okay. Um, and uh, I thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, and um, I feel better dusted off. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. Uh, thank you for thank you for allowing me to take you off the shelf. Uh, 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 you have been lost one step, brother. Um, the back community. We have been blessed to be able to be uh, uh, educated and been able to have a conversation with you. So thank you again. Um, I look forward to telling your story and getting it out to the community. Uh, everybody have themselves a great night. Uh, Brother Stewart, it's been a blessing. Thank you. Peace. 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 Peace.